0: Hello, Warbirders. Today's episode comes from a request. And speaking of requests, I get, I get a lot of them. So sometimes it takes oh, months, even half a year to get to them. But I'll give you a hint. If, along with your request, you also send some support, then your request will move to the top of the line. If you show that you uh, like this podcast enough to support it, well, then this podcast will reciprocate. So let's get to today's episode. It is inspired by a request from listener Matthew Barnhill for the Curtis Wright XP-55 Ascender. I've been sitting on this one for a while because I didn't quite know how to deal with the story of an aircraft, no matter how interesting, that never went beyond the prototype. There would be no production to talk about and of course no real operational history. But I'm always looking for themes and connections. And then when I look deeper, I realized that the xp 55 Ascender was just one of a series of fledgling American warbirds, most resulting from Army Air Corps proposal R-40C, and most connected to a discontinued engine design, the Pratt & Whitney X-1800. So what started as one episode about one failed aircraft has grown into a series devoted to several experimental failures. So let's get started on this one and take a look at why this radical aircraft and her sisters never left the nest. Design and Development Most of these doomed designs originated from United States Army Air Corps proposal R-40C, which was issued on the 27th of November 1939. This proposal was requesting aircraft with better performance, armament, and pilot visibility over the existing fighters of the day. Interestingly, it specifically allowed for out-of-the-box thinking type unconventional aircraft designs. Yes children, you do not need to color inside of the lines. And with the XP-55, Curtis Wright definitely decided to color outside of the lines. Firstly, they decided to put the engine in the back, which is called a pusher configuration. Now, that is not inherently radical as plenty of aircraft over the years, including the Wright flyer, have been pushers. There are actually lots of advantages in having the engine in the back, especially when thinking of the requirements of the R-40C proposal. The first is performance. Without prop wash being flung over the wings, fuselage, and empennage, you have clean and undisturbed air moving over these surfaces. There is no rotating prop wash hitting the tail fin to deal with, so not so much rudder input is needed on takeoff. Visibility is improved without the engine and the whirling prop in front, and you can easily put more and concentrated armament in the nose, where the bullets and cannon shells will be coming straight out forward without having to deal with shooting around or through a propeller arc. Finally, pushers can be safer for the pilot, as all that hot metal and fuel and oil and stuff is located behind him. With an engine fire, rather than the airstream blowing all the fire in his face, it'll actually be burning away and behind him. Of course, there are a few really significant disadvantages in having a pusher, too. Firstly the engine needs to be designed to do it, as pushing, rather than pulling, introduces different stresses on bearings and such. Remember I said that having the engine in the back allows for clean air over the wings and control surfaces? Well, that means that the propeller now is the surface receiving the dirty and disturbed air, which leads to a loss of thrust performance. There is the problem of the propeller arc being closer to the ground during takeoff and landing. In order to deal with that, you need to shorten the prop, or lengthen the gear, or introduce some sort of tail skid to protect against prop strikes. Of course, with the propeller tips so close to the ground, there is a much greater chance of striking rocks or other debris, especially on unimproved airfields. Engine cooling, always a major consideration, is always a problem with this configuration. Unlike an air-cooled radial in the front, a pusher engine, unless it is mounted or hanging below a pylon or something, is buried within the fuselage, and so probably will need liquid cooling to get the heat out to radiators. And finally, there is the disconcerting problem of the spinning meat-chopper back there if you have to bail out. We don't want the pilot to hit the fan when the poop hits the fan. So Curtis Wright started by putting the engine in the back, which led some to think of the plane as being backwards. I don't know which name came first. Ascender, as in climber, or the joking version, ass-ender, implying backwards. So with the engine in the back, something needed to replace the aerodynamic functions usually performed by the tail that was not there. Pitch would be controlled by the canard, or basically a horizontal stabilizer and elevator in the nose. Yaw control would be achieved through fins on the wingtips. It would have tricycle gear which was unusual for the time but would help out with that prop striking the ground on takeoff and landing problem as for the pilot bailing out meat chopping problem that was solved by the installation of a propeller jettison lever inside the cockpit you'd hate to pull that one by accident oops there goes the prop the engine turning the prop was to be the promising sounding. Pratt & Whitney X-1800 engine. This was a 24-cylinder H-configuration engine where two horizontally opposed banks of cylinders are geared together into the common propeller shaft. The 1800 referred to the planned horsepower output. In June 1940, Curtis Wright got the Army go-ahead for a powered wind tunnel model and the aircraft was given the designation of P-55. The result of the winged tunnel testing were not great, but Curtis Wright believed in their bird and so sunk their own money into a full-scale flying model made of fabric-covered, welded, steel-tube fuselage wing and wings made of wood. Maybe because of this effort, in 1942, a further go-ahead was given to build three prototypes. Great! It seemed like the Ascender was finally getting somewhere. Well, kind of. Prototypes. Before the prototypes could be built, the promised Pratt & Whitney X-1800 was canceled, and so now Curtis Wright was left scrambling for a new engine. They chose the less powerful 1,000 horsepower Allison V-1710. At least it was reliable. The first prototype ascender, serial number 42-78845 made its maiden flight on the 19th of July, 1943, from Scott Field near St. Louis, Missouri. The takeoff run was way longer than expected, so the plane went back to the shop for tinkering. The nose elevator size was made bigger, and the aileron up-trim was interconnected to the flaps. When the flaps were lowered, the ailerons would automatically up-trim. In November 1943, test pilot Harvey Gray was flying the prototype and testing its stall characteristics. During these tests, the prototype flipped inverted and dove into an uncontrolled descent. No matter what he did, Gray was unable to regain control and after struggling for 16,000 feet, he gave up, bailed out, and parachuted safely to Earth. The prototype P-55 made a big hole in the ground. Luckily, the next prototype, serial number 42-78846, was soon ready. It had an even larger nose elevator and a few other changes. It first flew on 9th of January 1944 with restrictions in place to avoid that wicked stall zone. Prototype number 3 flew in the spring of 1944 and had some stall improvement changes, including extending the wingtips by four feet and increasing the limits of the nose elevator travel. It was also fitted with four machine guns. The P-55 began official USAAF flight trials, where it was found to have actually poorer performance than conventional fighters of the day. And so it was decided that further development was terminated. But they still had two flying prototypes that were pretty cool looking, and so there had to be something that could be done with them. Prototype number three was being used in a war bond air show at the Army Air Force's fair at Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio, on the 27th of May, 1945. It was performing with a Lockheed P-38 Lightning and a North American P-51 Mustang when, during a slow roll, the P-55 nosed in, crashed, killing the pilot and four civilians on the ground. And that was it for the P-55. The second prototype was grounded and ended up as part of the collection of the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. It is on long-term loan to the Air Zoo in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where it can be seen today. So that's it for this episode. But as I said at the beginning, this is a series. So please come back next time when we will get introduced to the Vultee XP-54, known as the Swoos Goose.